Today, the term vandal denotes someone who damages or destroys property. This usage of the word, however, only emerged in 1794 when Henri Baptiste Grégoire, Bishop of Blois, used it in a dispute with French revolutionaries. They used the term vandal to denounce their violence against the churches and their treasures of art. However, Grégoire did not invent this term from nowhere. He got from a barbarian group who settled in North Africa mainly during the 5th century. Within this context, it therefore may come as no surprise that the barbarian vandals have historically had a poor reputation. Simon MacDowell writes, Of all the conquerors of the Roman Empire, the vandals surely have had the worst press. Furthermore, if we believe contemporary sources, the arrival of the vandals into Africa shocked Roman society. They described killings, enslavement, rape, the flight of refugees, pillage, the torching of buildings, and the distortion of wealth through torture. Before they moved to Africa, they also sacked Rome in 455 and plundered it for two weeks. This all paints a very bad picture of this barbarian group. Hello there, this is the Early Medieval Podcast. Today's episode aims to assess whether the vandals' poor reputation is deserved. It will argue that we need to abandon the practice of labelling the barbarians as good or bad and disruptive or continuous with regards to the Roman Empire. Instead, we should view them on their own terms and realise the barbarian kingdoms were part of a unique time period with its own trends, events and challenges. However, before we start, I will introduce the Vandals as a people and explain their move to Northern Africa. The Vandals were people who emerged from Central Europe in the early 5th century. Records of their history before them are scarce. Traditional theories would suggest that they originally came from Scandinavia before they moved into Germania. However, this may not be the case. Walter Paul suggests that epic nicknames such as Vandal may have been taken from a stock of familiar and prestigious names. Therefore, the term Vandal may have been applied to several groups of people without any obvious connections between them. Nevertheless, the Vandals that concern us crossed the Rhine into Gaul, which is France and Belgium, before heading across the Pyrenees into the Iberian Peninsula. However, in 429, they moved again into North Africa. According to Victor Villa, in the history of the Vandal persecution, 80,000 Vandals in the King Gezeric made this move. An explanation of the Roman political context may explain why the Vandals decided to move. After Emperor Honorius' death in 423, the infant Valentinian III succeeded to the throne in Ravenna, with his mother, Gala Placidia, for power behind him. She was propped up by the Eastern Emperor, as well as three warlords, Aetius, Felix, and Bonapartius. The three warlords vied for control of the empire. According to Jordanes and Procopius, Bonapartius, who was Count of Africa, aided an alliance with the Kibando kings Gundaric and Gizric to divide up Africa and return for support. Well, Clovan showed to dispute this alliance, 
did explain why Rivandos decided to move to Africa. Rivandos' settlement of Africa, according to Schwartz, was composed of three phases. The first lasted from 429 to 435 and consisted of warm thunder followed by a treaty that accommodated soldiers in the given territory. The second phase involved the capture of Carthage and another period of war followed by another treaty to grant Vandal's own land. Finally, phase three involved the expansion of Vandal territory following the death of Valentinian III. These processes of conquest, treaty and expansion formed the Vandal Kingdom that would dominate North Africa until its conquest by the Eastern Roman Emperor Justinian 533-534. It is this Vandal Kingdom in Africa which shall be the focus of this episode. Now let's begin our analysis of the Vandal Kingdom. By far one of the worst atrocities attributed to the Vandals in Africa was the persecution of Nicene Christians. Nicene Christians followed the creed established at Nicaea in 325, whereas the Vandals were Hermoian Christians, note not Aryan as commonly thought, and believed the son was like the father and not the same as him. Our main source for understanding the persecution of Nicene Christians is Victor Vita's History of the Vandal Persecution. This account describes some of the actions carried out by the Vandals against them. For example, when discussing the Vandals' rights, Victor writes, They gave vent to their wicked ferocity, great strength against the churches and basilicas of seeds, cemeteries and monasteries, so that they burned houses of prayer with fires greater than those they used against all the cities and towns. Victor also comments on fact there were also a great many martyrdoms and huge and numerous throng of confessors. The Vandals, according to Victor, also initially stopped the election of bishops of Zugitania. This all makes Vandal rule look intolerant and violent. However, Gradually, a more complex picture of the Vandal persecution emerges from the sources. Victor Vita writes that Hunneric, the successor of Giesrich, began to act in a quite mild and moderate fashion. This was particularly so with respect to our Nicene religion. We should certainly not presume all the Vandal kings took a uniform approach to their religious policy. Allowed the election of a Catholic bishop named Eugenius, suggesting he was not as harsh as his predecessor. Nevertheless, later in his reign, Hunneric became more harsh, so much that Victor still turned him a wicked man. This change, alongside the other evidence, warns us against concluding that the Vandals persecuted Nicene Christians continuously and at the same level for the entire duration of their kingdom in Africa. A further caveat is also added by Heather suggested that the provinces of Numidia and Byzantium were almost unaffected by the persecutions, while Africa proconsularis suffered the most. Well, it would be wrong to say the Vandal persecutions were not harsh and immoral. And then certainly points to a more complex reality than what first appears. We should also not presume that the Nicene Christians did not strike back against the Vandals. There are a range of literary genres, as documented by Reeling, 
that show Nicene Christians were not just passive receivers, but they, they had agency and responded to the attacks against her. Polemics, like that of Victor Vita, openly criticized the Vandals, whereas other authors wrote imaginary theological arguments and debates to engage with their Hummerian enemies. In these treatises, Nicene Christians even used the historical label of Arian to denounce their opponents. An example of these fictional debates includes Pseudo-Augustine's Conference of Augustine with Byzantius, which reports included debate between the famous bishop of Hippo and a member of the late Roman elite. As another debate text involves Cerealius, they seen Bishop of Castellum arguing against Maximinus, the bishop of Ariomaniacs, before the Vandal king in Carthage. Finally, in the mid-5th century, an African Nicene exile in Naples wrote a text to refute propositions of a Homoian deacon named Veromardus. These texts only form a part of a wider textual tradition of using debates to engage with theological enemies. The Vandals' persecutions against Nicene Christians do not make them look favourable. Nevertheless, we must also remember that they were not only barbarian people to carry out religious acts of violence. Theodoric the Great, ruler of the Ostrogoths, was anti-Nicene towards the end of his reign, even if he was tolerant of this, as Gregory of Tours reigns reveal him to be bigoted against anyone who strayed from the true faith. And these points are taken into account alongside the more complex citation of the persecution shown above. It does not seem the Vandals deserve completely their poor reputation, even if their actions should still face criticism. The Vandals have also been associated with the destruction and decline of buildings in urban areas. Victor Vita writes, in some buildings, namely great houses and homes where fire had been less service to them. They smashed the roofs and pieces and levelled the beautiful walls to the ground. Also going to be up, there were many cities with few or no inhabitants. Carthage itself lost the Audian, the Theta, the Temple of Memoria, and the Via Celestis. Conant also describes some of the damage caused by the arrival of the Vandals. The Forum no longer formed part of the civic centre of African cities. Meanwhile, theatres were abandoned and some bath complexes were turned into housing for a poor or winter industrial sites. An occupied part of sea were also given over to burial grounds. Nevertheless, the vandal rule of Africa seems to, seems to have resulted in change from the Roman past. It's important not to see this as decline. Instead, we should view the period as having its own character. See, Vandal sees this transforming like other urban centres in the era. Conant is aware of this and points to the fact that many new churches were being built in Africa, fitting in with trends across the late antique world. Change also occurred in aristocratic houses many which were abandoned or divided up into lots. However, many also survived and were refurbished, especially in Carthage and the African hinterlands. Furthermore, many circuses, amphitheatres and bath complexes did not deteriorate and continue to exist, 
So it would be wrong to view Vandalurubak as completely destructive. Therefore, Vandals do not deserve a completely bad rest when it comes to their impact on the cities and in urban areas. In fact, their rule should be viewed on its own terms and be seen as a unique point in the history of North Africa. Another reason to view Vandals in a more neutral light comes from the coinage they minted. The Moon's Cabinet of the Kunsthistorische Museum in Vienna holds a collection of coins from the Vandal period, 429-534. It includes 13 silver coins, 75 bronze and copper coins, and 10 incised Roman imperial large and midland coins. This collection is just one example of coins found from the Vandal period. Overall, Vandal coins come in several forms. Those with the king's name and those with no mention of the Lord of the Mint. The issue of silver coins with the name begins under Gunthermund and ended with the last Vandal king, Gallimer. The minting of coins like these acted as powerful propaganda pieces for the Vandals. They also demonstrated the fact that they had the power to create them. The Vandals also minted coins that imitated those of the Roman Emperor Norius. This should not be seen as a sign of weakness, however. Morrison and James A. Schwartz argue three reasons why the Vandals may have copied Roman coins. Firstly, because Honorius was the last Roman emperor to strike silver coins of any value. Secondly, as he was regarded the head of Valentinian's family, but finally, because he was so long dead that minting them would not be seen as a violation of the Western or Eastern Empire's monopoly. Therefore, the minting of imitative coins was likely a strategic move by the Vandal kings. The Vandals also did not mint gold coins. However, successor states, only the Ostrogothic kingdom managed to create a complete currency system with all three gold, silver and copper metal variations. There wouldn't have been gold circulating in Vandal Africa, likely from trade, and also due to the fact that some of their gold loot from Rome was taken across the Straits of Gibraltar into Africa. Nevertheless, not minting gold coins may have been a deliberate move by the Vandals as to not interfere with the monopoly held by the Roman empires. The fact that the Vandals minted coinage with their king's names on shows that they were willing to innovate Yet at the same time, they were still able to use the historic power of Honorius to their advantage. We should therefore view Vandals as cleverly deploying coinage for their own aims, and not as mere respecters of the continuing old tradition as victims of a uniform decline. Another aspect of Vandal, which should not be overlooked, is the thriving literary culture of Africa during the period. Gregory Hayes has used the term Vandal Renaissance to describe a group of authors who shared some lavies during the earlier part of the kingdom's existence. One member was Fulgentius, whose work included commentaries on Greek mythology and on the Aeneid. He also wrote a short collection of glosses with illustrative clothes and world history. Dracontius Martianus Capella both as of the Latin anthology formed by other members of the group. 
They all shared a common educational background, an investment in particular social context, and an ability to modulate between sacred and secular themes. Their works also had similar aesthetic values. This literary circle shows that culture was thriving under vandalic rule, but they do not necessarily deserve their reputation of being impressive rulers. Another circle involved the poet Luxurious, who compiled a series of epigrams of the suggestion on his friend Faustus Coronatus, who dedicated his work on the arts to Luxurious, is also another member. There were therefore multiple literary circles in Africa during Vandal rule. Furthermore, the poet Florentius praised Carthage. I call it a place of great education and great teachers. The classical schools survived in Africa throughout the Vandal period, with grammarians teaching students language and morality. Less prestigious schools of Glasgow continued to serve rural communities. Some male smallholders and Bundestulitianists were able to draw legal documents or sign autographs. While Africa was a place to thrive and culture under Vandalu, there are some necessary nuances tied to our discussion. Tracontius, the poet, was imprisoned at one point by King Gunthermund, so not all rulers were tolerant towards writers. Furthermore, some literary genres seem to have not been produced in Vandal Africa. Theology mainly due to the Vandals Homerian faith, seems to have been avoided by most. Whereas for those based in Carthage, epistolary communication was not necessarily and so not many letters were written. Finally, Vandal Africa did not produce a Gregory of Tours or Cassiodorus, authors who both produced histories for their respective peoples. Therefore, we must again view Randall rule on its own terms, where culture flourished. Some works were or were not produced due to particular contacts within the kingdom. Based on the assessment in this podcast, it seems our Vandals do not deserve their poor reputation. Even so, we must still not label them as good. And studying the past, terms like these can be oversimplistic. That late antiquity and the barbarian successes should be viewed as unique and complex, and we must give them the justice they deserve. That finishes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any questions, please feel free to comment. Goodbye, and see you soon.